Hello, and you're listening to the Sin Cinema Snobs. I'm Holland. I'm Mark. And uh, today, we will be reviewing The Disaster Artist. Ooh. Yeah, the new James Franco film. I think it comes out the beginning of December, so you're getting a little bit of an early review from us, which yeah. is not common. I think it's I think it's December 9th. Yeah, so hopefully this will be a new thing. Hopefully we'll get to see movies well before they come out. That'd be awesome. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm I met a. I, I met a lovely and charming uh, representative uh, from uh, a film group around town that hosts screening. So hopefully this will become more commonplace for us. I was telling them about the radio show, while I was also trying to sell them some of my craftware. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely plug it at the end of the episode. Um, before we talk about the disaster artist, it's a new film. Uh, film from James Franco. I wanted to have kind of rambling, impromptu conversation about the 1993 Tony Scott film written by Quentin Tarantino called True Romance. It has Christian Slater, uh, Patricia Arquette, uh, Dennis Hopper. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, Christopher Walken, um, a huge slew of supporting cast of characters. Brad Pitt has a minor role. I forgot about that. Um, What I really want to get to is I guess it, real, realistically less a conversation about true romance and more a conversation about Tarantino and his writing style. If you all can imagine, Holland and I have these conversations pretty frequently. Yes, <laughs> much to our own demise. Right. Um, so I haven't seen true romance since I was probably 14. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm with you there too. Yeah, and 14-year-old Holland loved that movie because I loved Quentin Tarantino and I loved things that were violent and I loved things that were ultra cool and that movie just like oozed cool out of every orifice. Um, but I rewatched it recently and really did not like it. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that as I got older, I began to look at Tarantino's films and I think he was probably the first filmmaker at, when I was young that I truly like fell in love with, sure. where I thought his movies were the coolest. I had never seen anything like them. I hadn't heard. I'd never heard characters talk, the way he wrote characters. Right. Ooh, excuse me. Too much coffee. But uh, the older I got, the more I realized that Tarantino borrows often too much from movies that he loves, which I don't think is necessarily a problem, except sure. when it goes past homage into. Just outright kind of like li- just lifting. Just Let's like, just be honest. Yeah, yeah, straight up lifting whole scenes or scenarios or whatever. Lady Snowblood. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I know we'll end up talking about that at some point. That's like a whole episode. I think we should do. Yeah, I mean, like you know, starting off with like him lifting things. Real quick, bringing up like Reservoir Dogs, where he stole like what the the I know my buddy Mark Kennedy is a local comedian, super cool guy. Get him on the show. At some Let's point. not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he told me last night that a lot of Reservoir Dogs was uh, the, the story. A lot of it was taken from the Alfred Hitchcock film, The Killing. Okay, but he also lifted a lot of stuff from the Chinese film called City on Fire. Okay, so that I, I knew about City on Fire. I didn't know about the Hitchcock I, reference. I didn't know either, and I've never seen that. So I'd like to go and watch it just to. To, to check it out, see what the that's like. Similarities. Our, that should be our YouTube version of this, by the way. Is we should be doing like YouTube videos like that, Showing short the little five. Yeah, exactly. That would be great. I think yeah. a lot of people would like that. Um, but the thing is, is like, yeah, he lifted things, but Reservoir Dogs is still inherently like he took the idea and, in my opinion, made it better. Because I've seen the Chinese movie City on Fire. Yeah, and I don't think it's a particularly good movie. 
Tarantino just took that idea and ran with it and, like, really gave it his own flair. And that's, I feel like, what you should do with homage and references. Like, when you love something, like, be like, what can I bring to the table with this, right? Yeah. What be, and, and what I think has been interesting about Tarantino, and I think it's funny because it flies in the face of almost everything else that's done in homage and remakes and stuff, is that he usually does take these things. He'll usually take things that weren't great necessarily the first time. They might be good or they might have some sort of inherent charm or some spark, right? Enough, enough for him to hang his hat on it. And I think he takes that and he adds what he thinks would be awesome to them. And it usually works out pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, no, uh, I agree for the most part. Uh, and Reservoir Dogs, I still think is probably close to my favorite film by him. Yeah, uh, it's one that like every time I go back and rewatch it, I, I still think it's great and really fun. Um, watching True Romance is interesting. Besides the fact that there was a lot of things I, I really didn't like, what I find fascinating about it is that it was the f- the first feature written by Tarantino, but it is so obvious that this was. A young, nerdy guy. Like, I, I would imagine that Tarantino was like this young, nerdy dude. Probably didn't have a lot of sway with women. Wasn't a yeah. ladies' man. Huh. Well, welcome to Blockbuster. Hey, <laughs> I can remember, you know, like yeah. shaking his hands. I, 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 I memorize every life of Casablanca. Uh, exactly. Um, this movie plays off less of. It doesn't really play off to me personally as some sort of like violent fantasy film it's tarantino's wet dream yep the main character is a much more charming tarantino and better looking and better look yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) marginally yeah marginally more attractive (laughs) christian slater yeah so that like (laughs) for some reason irritates me because we we i'm sure if we really sat down we could find a list of writers who have done this and i don't think it's a cardinal sin because when you're a young writer you will make mistakes sure it is bound to happen and people oh, evolve sure. and change and we've seen that with tarantino's films um but it's it's weird watching it because it has all those weird things that like kind of irritate me about tarantino and his fanboyism mm-hmm. so like christian slater's whole thing that movie opens up with him in a bar talking to some uh some lady and he's like Oh, yeah, this movie, and that movie, and this movie, and that movie. Like, here's some deep-cut references to it. And I know that we're movie nerds, but we don't talk to people like that. No, unless we're having a conversation about movies. Precisely. We won't bring up random, weird kung fu movies that Christian Slater would in this movie, assuming somebody's seen it. Especially if I was trying to impress somebody. Like, if I was – I mean, that scene is like, he's definitely hitting on the woman. Yeah. I would never (laughs) – just like, talking about be like, hey, what's up? Like, let me talk to you about this like weird Chinese film I watched once. Unless the conversation was, hi, Mark, I'm into Chinese films. And then I'd go, oh, le-, you know what I mean? And then go for that. Let's talk about like, oh, Andy Sashua Lau. And chicken. No, I said film. Yeah, I'm exactly. Sure. Sorry. It's like, <laughs> I'm a Hunan beef kind of guy. Yeah. So seeing that, it like, happens multiple times throughout the film. Um, his character is so hard for me to believe as a person, mostly because... Christian Slater in this movie plays a dude that works at a comic book shop who ends up falling in love with the prostitute. And then as she he falls in love with the prostitute and she's like running away from her pimp, he somehow gets the balls to murder the, the pimp who's played by Gary Oldman, which is easily, in my opinion, the best part of that movie. Oh, Gary Oldman question. as the as the pimp Drexel Spevy is so 
so good. Dude, he, Gary Oldman always kills it. I love when he gets... It, it like kind of sounds... Sad. It sounds bad. I almost wish the movie didn't take the big scope it did. Because, you know, in the movie, they end up getting a lot of cocaine, and they try to sure. sell it, and there's, right. like, a there's, like, two, yeah. there's like a three-tier shootout happening. I almost wish the movie was a long, drawn-out process of him trying to just get Gary Oldman. Yeah, would have been failing. awesome. Anyways. It kind of bums me out because Gary Oldman doesn't get fun roles like that anymore. And in mid early yeah, 90s, mid-90s. Yeah, now he just plays like the old man with a stern face. Yeah, exactly. Which it, For an actor like him, I'm like, dude, somebody make him like a serial killer old man in one of these movies. He's not even that old. Yeah. He's so. like, I think he's in his 50s. It's not like he's old. You he, got Liam Neeson at 70-something still pretending to kill Eastern European oh, dudes. He's, he's a fantastic character actor. Yeah, I'm, he really is. And after watching that, it like, kind of, yeah, it kind of bums me out because that role is – he's so authentic. Yeah, and, and people now are just like, he was really good as Commissioner Gordon. I'm like – this, Commissioner Gordon's barely a character in those movies. Yeah, he's not bad, he's but he's old like, man with the he, stern face. Exactly. He's literally that character. There's like not like that's not an actor's part, you know? Yeah, precisely. But going back to the whole fanboyism thing, which Sorry. If, if, I'm sure plenty of people here know of Tarantino, know his body of work. I'm not going to go through a Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, Django and Chain, all those movies. The Hateful Eight, you The know, Ridiculous we, Six. We kind of know his, we don't really have to talk about his style. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really talk about his style or how it works. Um, but going back to the writing and that True Romance was his first film and it's riddled with like these weird wet dream-esque fantasies of like, I guess, what he would, what he considers cool. Another big problem that I have with a lot of his films, let more so with his most recent films and True Romance, as well as maybe, I know he did the story for Natural Born, Born Killers, mm-hmm. is Tarantino's odd obsession with the idea of cool. Yep. And what is cool and how do we define it? And the way he defines cool feels so cheeky and cheesy to me mm-hmm. that it's I, I'll, I will never be able to relate to majority of his characters, which is fine because they're movies and I might not have to relate to them. To enjoy I just it, need for sure. to understand it and possibly sympathize. But in True Romance, it's goofy because Christian Slater's character is kind of obsessed with this, like, yeah, man, Elvis Presley, he was a cool dude. Yeah. Or, like, this this actor, this random person, Sonny Chiba, kung yeah. fu movies, whatever, that's cool. And I guess because I know, like, obviously Tarantino's a mature man, you know? He's one of the most revered filmmakers in the world. There, He has one of the strongest fan bases I've ever watched. Oh, I've never sure. met a director that has such... Like people de- who de- don't like movies, like our fanboys of Tarantino. I remember I mean? when I was a kid and asked my stepdad, like, "Hey, like Simon, what's your favorite movie?" And he's like, "If you were to put a gun to my head, head and ask me what my favorite movie was, he said Pulp Fiction." And this was late, late nineties when yeah. I asked him, so I was still pretty young. Simon's not a movie buff at all. No, he's not a connoisseur. He mostly just watches history documentaries. Sure. So the like, like what you just said does strike true. Yeah. Um, I just kind of like, I don't know, I guess because, especially since Tarantino after Jackie Brown started diving basically into making genre cinema, which there's nothing wrong with, except he just happens to lift ideas from other genres or doesn't, in my opinion, know how to accurately portray them. And I, if so for me, the thing that's kind of made him less exciting to me with each subsequent movie is it's the same argument I have with any creative that goes unchecked. And it really happened. Thankfully, Tarantino's output was strong for a while. Unlike a lot of creative people who, you know, you got to think Tarantino pretty much just came out of nowhere. 
He does. He gets the script on True Romance. He gets the story credit for Natural Born Killers. He then is also getting rewrites on not Hunt for Red October, but what's the Tony Scott submarine movie with Denzel and Gene Ackman? Oh my gosh! I was just looking at it all. Yeah, and it's gonna drive me nuts because that movie has one of my least favorite Tarantino script moments ever. And people always were like, "You'd love this," but it just feels so phony and forced. It'd be like if I just inserted myself into a movie to talk about the Silver Surfer for a second. But they have that Silver Surfer sequence. That's gonna drive me crazy. I cannot think of what the name of that movie is. And I keep wanting to call it Hunt for Red October. I'm like, but that's John McTiernan. He's great too. I I just saw it's, but I don't understand. Crimson something is it Crimson Tide? Whatever. I think think that sounds right. (laughs) Anyway, the point is Tarantino, like, he did the rewrite of that. And it also has one of those scenes where it's like all of a sudden a character who doesn't really seem to be a weirdo just starts talking about Silver Surfer and comic books in the middle of this movie. And it's like... It's really odd how he he (laughs) seems to think that people talk like this. And which, that's really weird, though, because... Because people now do, because they're all weirdos obsessed with Marvel movies. <laughs> true. But, like, Tarantino is consistently lauded for his dialogue. And I will admit, like, you get movies like Inglorious Bastards, which is one of those films where I remember the first time I saw it, I loved it. Second time, didn't. And then third time, kind of loved it again. Okay. Where I was like, oh, God, this is just a fun film. Yeah. And the dialogue is almost always on point and really interesting and fun to listen to. It's like when he's not trying to be cool, it does feel so effortless and breezy and real. Yeah. But even in Glorious Bastards, he has those moments where he... It's this weird masturbatory thing he has where he has to be like, I know the most about movies. But really, I only know the most about a very select uh, blend of films. Right. Not like cinema as a whole because uh, there's actually one part of True Romance which makes sense for the character, but I hated the quote is I think it's at the end of the movie they go to sell a bunch of cocaine to the, the big um, executive producer guy. Yeah. Or like a movie producer. And he's talking to the producer like, oh man, I loved your film. I loved this. And he's like, he's like, this type of movie, this movie, this movie. Now those are real movies, but they're all genre films. And I don't have a problem with genre movies. I love genre movies. But like Tarantino's forwardness and being like, oh, this is what cinema needs to be, irritates, just irritates me to my core. Oh, I get it. It's just, I don't know. I guess maybe it's like, since I like watched him as a kid Mm -hmm. and watched these films and loved them so much, and then I started to mature and started to notice that his filmmaking didn't do that, especially after Jackie Brown, where that was the one film he has where you can see him Trying. Which he doesn't even have to go away from genre cinema. It's just there would have been a, it would have been nice to see an evolution in his filmmaking. And right. you see that in Jackie Brown. It doesn't get his fans don't like it. It's right. somewhat of a I would say a minute failure. Yeah. Thus he goes I remember back. the time being like kind of a bomb. And people were like, What is this? It's, and it's very odd because you watch retrospective reviews on it now and they're like, People wow, are like, Oh, we love it. You know, we have like a very strong female character who doesn't get like harped um harp down by men. And all this other stuff, and then he goes straight back into genre. Yep. Which is fine. His fans love it. You know, Django and I, I have a lot of problems with Django Unchained. For the most part, most people I know love that film. Most oh, people yeah. I know it love was fun. It was still fun. I, I like that was one of those ones I remember everybody lauding so much, and I was like, 
This could have ended 45 minutes earlier, but I guess it's that same thing I almost always have a problem with. Was any creative that does really well early on and kind of out of nowhere, which, by the way, is like literally all of us. Like, are you going to tell me that every one creative doesn't have that one killer idea in them right now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then if you get, but if that's the idea that gets picked up and you get lauded, you got to think. So, what I was getting at before with the, it was Crimson Tide. Uh, I, I feel real confident about that now. Uh, but with, when, you had, when he had, you got to think about this. It's just like anything. Like, you just have that year right and all of a sudden he had 1993 and he came out of nowhere and all of a sudden he's got like three screenplays getting produced you know he's doing script rewrites he's doing all this stuff and then gets his first chance to do his first thing and it becomes one of the biggest it's a land pulp fiction is a huge deal you know it's like a but landmark you know, piece like justifiably of so yeah I, as much as i like to crap on tarantino um and i, I do it because i genuinely He's not above criticism, but also since I loved his film so much growing up, it's like I feel like I have to. I, I, like, I do feel like the pu- the public doesn't criticize his stuff. Like if you were to be like, well, I had a problem with this, it'd be like, are you serious? Tarantino's a master. I don't, like, I don't always study like, films. Sup- you want, you study gas prices. Don't yeah. tell me about what I love. Thank I, you. I got a little happy when I, I, I wrote a review for The Hateful Eight back like right after it came out. Yeah. And um, I was pretty happy that most of the people on my Facebook like were actually saying the same thing I was, which was, Okay, you shot this thing in 70 millimeter film. It Why? doesn't matter because it's all set inside of a house and right. there's no claustrophobia at all. Yeah. You know, that movie's way too long. He throws in this this stupid scene about like, oh, a few days earlier because obviously we're too dumb to figure out what happened even though they kind of say it right to our faces. But I was really happy that most of my friends were like, oh yeah, no, it should have been a stage play. Like, there was no real reason for this to be a movie. Dude, can you imagine if he had toured a stage play with that cast? I just, what blows my, that would be awesome. I know, but But we have great ideas and no one wants them, so it's fine. (laughs) I just think it's so weird that he was like, once again, it's that masturbatory thing of how he feels about film. Nothing wrong with shooting on film. Obviously, if I if I had a budget that allowed me to shoot a movie on film, I would do it. Especially in seventy millimeter. But like, he never thought to be like, maybe I should make a movie that's set outside in the great wilderness, so you can see you can actually the take majesty in the, and the scope of yeah. what this type of film role can do. Especially to provide the contrast, if you are still going to have a majority of it set in one location. Yeah, you know, and it's not to say that there aren't exterior shots in Hateful Eight. There are. But they're not really used to the When the movie's two hours and 45 minutes and three quarters of it is set inside of a house. more than that, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. It just didn't – I remember when they announced that. I was like, why are you shooting it this way? Like, it made sense with Kubrick in 2001. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember when they announced it and getting a little excited because I was like, oh, another – oh, cool. A Western? And it has these people? And it's going to be shot on this. Awesome. I'd like to see. But him. when that's all you know, yeah. that it's a western, has great actors, and it's going to be shot on seventy millimeter. Of course, it's easy to get excited until like four months later when the script leaked. Right. You know. And then you remember it, it leaked, and then he was like, "I'm going to change a bunch of stuff." I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't have because it doesn't sound like that good. Dude, when the script leaked, and people were like, "Not that excited about the leaked script." Red flag. It just makes me not very excited for whatever his next out. And I feel that way anyway. I feel like he's just... I'm hoping his next one's good because I know it's going to be set in the 70s um, or like late 60s or something. So it's just going to be a bunch of white people saying the (laughs) N-word dressing in in disco. Probably. I'm just hoping... I'm hoping this is the... Because I haven't really enjoyed Django and I haven't enjoyed Hateful Eight. I'm hoping that this one is the one where I'm like... Okay, cool. Modern Tarantino. Uh, Got it. We're back. Who knows? I think he's probably too afraid to do something like Jackie Brown again. You think of this? See, if it were me, 
I guess I'm just a different animal. Or maybe, man. Like, I, but like, honestly, I kind of wish you'd do something that's really out there. Yeah. That's like complete left field. Like that just doesn't feel like a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, I would still love to see him use his very enigmatic style of directing. Absolutely. But just do something completely different. Honestly, Dude. I'd love to see Tarantino do like a horror thriller film. Because like when you like, that's the one thing I'll give Tarantino. He's nerdy and he can sound obnoxious. I listened to a podcast where he talked about The Exorcist. Yeah. And I've never heard... I I love The Exorcist. It's one of my all-time favorite films. So listening to him talk about it, and he had the same passion for that movie that I do, and he genuinely loves and understands films. Cool. I just wish... And I honestly... He did make a good point in that podcast. I almost wish I could play the clips. But um, I would love to see him do a thriller or horror film. The one reason he said that he really can't is that good horror films are like one note, but played beautifully, like played by a master. So when you get Fr- William right. Friedkin directing The Exorcist, and it is a one note film, yeah. but that one note is it's just, just killer. It's sustained and great. Tarantino Ooh. really can't do that. He's kind of a little everywhere. Tarantino sometimes a little bit like, I'm just banging on these keys. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, N-word. And you're like, geez, Tarantino, relax. Chill out, dude. I, the one thing you brought up the other day that I now can only think about is how anytime someone has to say something weird or cool, they repeat it three times. Oh, And my you brought gosh. it up in regards to Harvey Keitel with the dead N-word storage line in... Pulp Fiction. Oh, do you think this is that place? Is this that place? It's like what Jonah Hill does it, but Jonah Hill does it as a joke. You know, where Jonah Hill's always like, oh, is this what the thing you wanted to be? I'm not sure if that's the thing you wanted it to be. Is it the thing you wanted to be? I'm sure it is. Is this it, though? I'm not sure. It was really weird seeing that in, like, True Romance, though, because a lot of the stuff that was said in True Romance, like those type of jokes, are refined better in, like, uh, Pulp Fiction. Interesting. I I never caught it as as a teenager, and I don't know how I did it. Because I watched True Romance a lot because my dad liked the movie a lot. Yeah. And I saw Pulp Fiction. I've seen Pulp Fiction probably almost 20 times. So, like, well, you know, since I was a teenager. Um, uh, you'll, but, be, you'll laugh when you find out how recently I saw Pulp Fiction for the first time. I have probably haven't watched it in, like, seven years. Oh, I'd only seen it for the first time, like, four or five years ago. Oh, Isn't well, that weird? Because I'd seen all the other I, stuff. I, I remember I, it's really weird because I remember watching Reservoir Dogs and being like, oh, I think this is my favorite. And then I remember renting Jackie Brown – but I don't think I got a chance to finish it because it was the late 90s on VHS. Yeah. And uh, I, I, that's one I really want to revisit because I'm really interested. And I'm a big Elmore Leonard fan. You know? the, the book is so much fun. Dude, everything I Elmore honestly... Leonard wrote is fun as hell. It's like everything is awesome. You know what movie I want to revisit along those lines? It's Soderbergh's uh, Elmore Leonard movie, um, uh, George Clooney and uh, Out of Sight. Yeah. Killer cast. I remember that movie being a ton of fun. Um, Unrelated, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> I just got stuck on the Elmore Leonard thing. He's a great writer. What were we just talking about? The the three like, uh, the three the repeat something multiple times. Shtick. Yeah, the one thing I noticed with True Romance is the, the whole like so in Pulp Fiction you have the infamous like Royale with cheese talking about hamburgers. I I honestly think that Tarantino only eats hamburgers. Like, nothing else. Like That's his serial killer food. Yeah, his, di- yeah, his diet is just... And milkshakes. Strictly, expensive milkshakes. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Americana is, quote, cool, unquote. Yeah. Um, but they do the whole thing. They do that, like, almost that bit in True Romance without it being the same bit. Right. But there's a whole thing about hamburgers and how it's, like, the best food and all this. So it's just, it's really interesting. It's like watching a stand-up comedian do a joke and then come back, like, 
a few months later with the joke just a little better, yeah. and then coming back later to have it even like you know. Like, we're gonna keep trying this until this joke lands every time. I also find it kind of odd though, because like obviously in Pulp Fiction, those things work because you have like John Travolta and Samuel Jackson riffing off one another, yeah. and they have great chemistry on screen. Oh yeah. <sighs> John Travolta was on fire, too. He really wanted to get his career back in line. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everybody, it was weird because they were like, Travolta's career was over. And I looked it up, and I was like, there's only like two or three years between his like last movie that was semi-successful and Pulp Fiction. Because he was doing the Look Who's Talking movies through the 90s. <laughs> and like those were not, those are, I'm not saying that those are like cinema greats, but they also were financially successful. So I was it's like, say, like he was he eating, John Travolta money? was eating. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. And John Travolta gets to go home and pretend to love Kelly Preston every night. So, you know, he's a lucky man. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm just jealous because I'm in love with Kelly Preston ever since I saw Twins as a kid. I was like, oh, am I supposed to feel this way about other humans? I'm like five. (laughs) I forgot who. Oh, man. Who was my first on-screen crush as a kid? Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. uh, Karen Allen. That was like the first time as like... uh, I don't want to say a child, child. No, I know. It was the first time I looked up and it was like, oh. But she's beautiful. Right. But not understanding what that meant, but just knowing like that's You're like something beautiful... is appealing here. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I remember feeling that way about they drew her really well on the box art for the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember she's like cute and spunky and she's like definitely epitomized what I liked in women that I've been attracted to in my life. Yeah. And as far as like a character, you know what I mean? Uh but I just always remember thinking the Karen Allen drawing on the outside of the box was just like, I don't know why. Again, I was young, too. I was just like, oh, yeah, same thing. You're like, yeah, she's beautiful. I don't know what this feeling is, though, you know? Yeah. She epitomizes what, a lot what I like about women, one that she could drink me under the table. Yep. She's um, physically in demand. She's, she could probably pick me up and throw me through a window. She was intelligent. Yeah, exactly. She was really intelligent. She I also, love- for some reason, like lives in Mongolia. Which, which is, is awesome which because, is awesome. you know. I mean, also kind of sucks because like, it's cold. It's on top of a mountain. Yeah, and she's the only woman there to appear, appear to be, according to the film. <laughs> yeah. The only she's woman the only woman in, in Mongolia. all of Mongolia. And according to history, not the safest decision you could have made. True. You know? As we saw because, like, you know what you happened know, with the cons. Indiana Jones shows up and. Exactly. And then he just starts shooting guys in bad. He's shooting guys in bad Asian eye makeup. Oh, speaking of which. I'm waiting for that to get brought up, by the way, that someone's like Spielberg may have been insensitive in the 80s. I was like, yeah, (laughs) especially when you watch those movies in HD, it looks real bad. Oh, yeah. No, that was. Why did you hire an Asian guy? I probably hadn't watched seen Raiders and I'm I love Raiders and it's probably close to being one of my all-time favorite films. I have probably hadn't seen it in 10 years when I rewatched it a few months ago. Oh yeah. And totally forgot about that whole that whole scene. It's that one shot in particular where they first show the dude and he's holding a gun and it's just like he looks like a dude you'd meet at Speedway and then they put eye <laughs> Like, I makeup on so bad. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. But we've gotten too far in. We've gotten pretty far in the show. Should we take a quick ID break and talk about the disaster artist? Let's do that. Cool. So any final thoughts on Tarantino, though? Um, I don't know. I feel like me – well, we've already talked about it for like 20 minutes now. Yeah, it's fine. Th- th- that being said, I'm whenever we will keep you guys up to date on news regarding his new film. Yep. Because I know that we'll obviously have a lot of thoughts about it, where it's going to go, what style he's going to try to emulate. And I know that that movie's going to be set, I think, in the late 60s, early 70s. Sweet. Um, so there's going to be a lot to dissect whenever 
information leaks slash his script leaks. That's if you can read his script with his horrible grammar. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think you need good grammar to know how to write, but some of the mistakes he makes are just, they're elementary. Like, it's I bet they bad. make you feel good about yourself writing. You know what I mean? Oh, they do. I know that I'm not good with grammar. That's funny. But at least I know the difference between, like, were and were. You know what I mean? Yeah, or <laughs> were and where. Yeah, <laughs> we're in Wolf. Oh, well, I don't have to know that because I, I eat a lot of cheeseburgers and I worked in a blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, cheeseburgers help the mind, you know. Yeah. They, they yeah. make his brain bigger, his forehead bigger. <laughs> okay, guys, let's go to a break and we'll be back with a review of The Disaster Artist. Hey everyone, this is Holland with the Sin Cinema Snobs, your weekly movie review and news show. You're listening to this on Radio Artifact at 1660 AM, also streaming over at RadioArtifact.com. Thanks for listening. You got tear me apart, Lisa! And we're back. So we're going to be reviewing the new James Franco film, The Disaster Artist, based off of the book, The Disaster Artist, which covers the the making of the best worst movie ever made, The Room. Oh, now, yeah. I don't feel like we have to do a lot. We don't have to say a lot about The Room. I feel like at this point, The Room is something a lot of people know about. Like, oh, mo- yeah. I would say most people know, I feel like at this have point, seen scenes. Oh, yeah. Talking about The Room at length is tearing me apart. Oh, whoa. Okay. Deep cut, dude. That was I, like a Tarantino deep dude, cut. Dude, right that's there. the movie I'm going to make. I'm going to make a Tarantino. You know what's cool? The, the Room is really cool. <laughs> I don't know why my Tarantino impression is also the Adam Sandler old guy voice, but it's fine. But it's like similar. It is. <laughs> Just shake and don't say things for the most part, and then eventually reference, you know, the legend of the Street Fighter with Sonny Chiba. So. Let's say for the He makes swords. Swords are cool. Uh, no, no, they're not. Swords are dangerous. They'll cut you wide open. So. That, is, that, that is true. Uh, I loved the disaster artist. I loved it. Yeah, just off the... Uh, Which is why no one responded to my Facebook post about it. I'm like, this movie's great. I loved it. You should go see it. Silence. <laughs> why do you hate everything, Mark? You hate everything. I'm like, no, I love this. You just conveniently Yeah, no. It. Going off the top of this review, it is a truly great film. And I yeah. think uh, like what me and you talked about after we saw it was that it really shows that Franco knows how to direct actors. He knows yep. how to direct um, comedies. Yeah. I think he's definitely kind of realized, oh... This is my bread and butter. Yeah. I'm going to make it work. And this was obviously like a passion project for him because for I remember sure. this was announced a few years ago. Yeah. That he was having people write it. Um, and I think he did a great job juggling the tone because like you said, it is for the most part a comedy. But there's like just enough creepy and dramatic moments in it to hang your hat on really. Yeah, and, and be the like, dramatic oh, these are all real are never characters. Like dramatic up to like, you know, turning the volume up to 10. It's yeah. like. They put it up to like a nice six point five with the drama. It's enough for you to. It makes you care. It's like one of those great. Yeah. It's one of those great moments that by the end of this, I, full disclosure, I hate bad movies. Like I don't find the room fun to watch. I hate it. I, I really do. Like and not like I'm just one of those people that I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I get it. It's supposed to be fun. It's uh, for me too hard to get through to truly enjoy because it's like too incompetent and it might just be because we're production you know what i mean we're production people yeah and so there's that part of me that's like it's one of those things where it's like i understand the appeal 
when people like say they like B movies or yeah, watching bad it movies. It just doesn't work for me. Personally. It doesn't work for me either. And I've only ever seen The Room once, and it was with friends, and it was a fun experience. That being said, would I ever go back to it? No, absolutely not. I don't think you even pers- personally. Yeah, you should probably watch The Room before you see the. You should just watch a, a clip reel. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I think that's really the important part because, like, everybody kept arguing with me, like, you have to go see The Room first. I'm like, no, you don't. It's terrible. It's hard to watch. Go look up the greatest scenes from The Room. You know what's funny is when we went into The Disaster Artist, I was really afraid that it would be one of those films, like, now I shouldn't say one of those films, but that you would truly have to see The the Room no. to get the full grasp of The Disaster Artist. Yeah. But the movie does do a good job of kind of, like, Telling you at the beginning how big the room was right. throughout the course of the film, telling you who Tommy Wiseau was, and by the end of the film, with like the last little like five minutes being like scene comparisons and all this stuff, so wild. Yeah, just watch a bunch of the scenes on YouTube. I think that's it, don't I mean, get me unless wrong. Unless you really like bad, if you really yeah. do have a good time with bad movies, it, I think you're you are accurate. It really is the best bad movie ever made. Yeah, because it's at times. It's it's very. It's a clean. movie made by somebody that does not understand films. Or at all. yeah, exactly. It's like like I, there was a joke in the movie. Like I don't even think he's ever seen a movie before. And you're right. And I, what was interesting to me is that before this, I was like, Tommy Wiseau's an idiot. I didn't like it. I and then I, earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, Amazon tried to capitalize on the success of his like newfound stardom because yeah. it feels like every couple of years this blows up again. You know. Mm. Uh, and they were, uh, where was I going with this? Uh, oh, they were, he did a show on Amazon Prime or something. And it is just as nightmarish and terrible and tone deaf and idiotic and like borderline. I just remember people being very mad. There's like, I didn't get through enough of the show because it was terrible and hard to watch. But I think he had like, he had written in like gay neighbors on the show and they were like really offensive stereotypes, like that kind of thing. Just by somebody who's kind of an idiot, right? So I... Went into this a little unsure at the thing. I thought the trailers were great for Disaster Artist, but I was kind of like, sell me on this movie, James Franco. And I'm a fan of them. Now you're, I feel like but you're now I'm like, now. dude, I, I absolutely, I, dude, it was a total 180 for me because I was like, I was still wanted to see the movie, but I was kind of cautiously optimistic. Yeah. So I loved it. It was one of those that I was like, oh no, all these characters felt really re- real. Frank James Franco kills it. I got to give a lot of love to Dave Franco too. Who yeah. is like really good in the part and probably won't get any love because James Franco is so perfect yeah. in the role. Oh, but well. Dave Franco crushed too. Like yeah, no. he really he's totally the emotional believe- core. Yeah. You know, totally believable. And I would even say the movie is truly about him. Yeah, which makes sense because he was the second half right. of the of the making of the room. Um, but now I want to see Tommy Wiseau make his version of the disaster artist about from his perspective. <laughs> no, it would just be an, it would just be the room again. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, yeah, James Franco. I don't know how long he studied Tommy Wiseau's mannerisms. Yeah. I after about ten minutes of seeing him on screen, it really clicked. Of like, wow. You're nailing it. Oh, yeah. The weird voice, like the awkward pauses. The, just the way he looks at things. Yeah. Almost. Like kind of like half like looking down, half like And because nobody eyed. really knows the history of, of the character, the person he's playing, Tommy Wiseau, you know, what, at one point in the movie he brings up being in a car wreck? Or like a motorcycle accident or something? Yeah, something happened to him, and, he, and I, we're like, oh, maybe that's why he's a little weird, too. But but nobody knows. Right. Because some of the ways he acts is I'm like, yeah, he's obviously not from America, 
but he's been here long enough that he shouldn't be... He should know how to throw a football. Yeah, he should know how to throw a football. He shouldn't be asking weird questions. I mean, I don't play sports. I know how to throw a football, and I didn't have anybody teach me. Don't I just get me watched wrong. it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely humorous. I'm not sitting what... here saying I'm throwing bullets either, but... Yeah. You know. um, but just look up Tommy Wiseau throwing a football. You'll know exact. You'll feel real good about your athletic prowess after that. The, one of the things I think that makes this such a good comedy is um, I went in really afraid that it was going to be not like a traditional James Franco, Seth Rogen comedy, but I was really afraid it was going to have like a ton of improv. And it was, it was, it's very obvious, especially about halfway through that this movie is structured, that they are following a script. Yep. It's not just throwing actors in a room and having them do their thing. Especially concerning it, because there's a lot of comedic actors in it too. And which, you're like, you know, and all uh, of them stuck to the script though. Yeah. Cause they, they, like, like what we talked about with uh, Dave Franco, they all feel like real characters. Oh like yeah, they're playing their roles, and it's it, and they're and they're being funny. The only person I felt like that didn't that maybe didn't do that was Hannibal Burris, but he's like kind of a bit part. But and, and that's kind of my beef with Hannibal and everything, and I think that's often why he does get cast because they're kind of like, hey Hannibal, can you pretend that you're not in this movie? He's like, okay, yeah, and you he, know, and he like what has like three lines. Yeah, and so well, it wasn't again. I'm not trying. I'm just like I'm just trying to find negatives. Truly, yeah. And I, even that, I wouldn't call it a negative, but I would say comparatively, really, like the- Jason Manzukis, by the way. I'm a huge fan of him anyway on, like, How Did This Get Made and yeah. all that. Actually seeing the entire How Did This Get Made podcast be fairly sizable portions of this movie made me very happy. Yeah. But uh, – It was funny seeing him in that in this film. Yeah. Uh, just mostly because, like – Zooks. He – the character he was playing, like, the kind of confrontational, like, getting up and – uh, Tommy Wiseau's face and like yelling like no 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 this is not how we make a movie blah 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 is not who what I'd expect from him but he makes it work and, like, wait was that Paul Shear that did that part that was yelling because Jason Manzukas was the uh, the the selling the camera guy oh duh 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 duh, duh, duh. I got it mixed up yeah okay, no but yeah. but 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 Paul Shear's also on how did this get made yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. the same thing and I was interested to see that because Paul Shear's been always like I loved it kind of dorky you know who else was great I had a great scene was Judd Apatow. And oh. the, it's in the trailers, but the way he acts, awesome. Like it fe- he felt like a real smug. It was really producer. cool too. And it wasn't even smug. It was just that. No, real, he was like, just like, "I'm giving you some advice, kid." Yeah, but like it's, I, he's giving it to the biggest idiot on the face of the planet. I love that when he gets mad at like, "We're so sorry, sir. We didn't mean to do this." He's like, "He got through two acts of Shakespeare." <laughs> I laughed at that. But what's really funny though is that like, I, I so a couple of years ago, I love telling the story. A couple of years ago, I went to this thing in L.A. Uh, and it was a big Q and A session with Judd Apatow and James Franco. And James Franco was doing his book, Actors Anonymous. And it was a weird moment for me because, A, I think I was, like, the only dude in the play. A, I may have been one of the only men there that wasn't either one of the young women's dads or interested in Franco. So to be, like, the one, like, like hetero male in the building, like, I just want to further my acting career. It was an interesting experience overall, right? And what was what was really interesting to me, I, it was funny because I'm like, at the time I was with my then girlfriend and she was just fawning over him and everybody was just fawning over him. And I was really listening because I was really interested about it. It was interesting to see Franco in that setting because prior to that, I'd never seen him really do much talking stuff since like early, early in his career. Yeah. And it's funny because like he just came off as like, the art school kid. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he was very like, this is what this means. Very like quiet and calm. I don't want to say disappointing, right? Because it wasn't disappointing. It was just subverted my expectations. 
Judd Apatow, very warm character. So it was also really funny for me in the movie to see, like, the, you know what I mean? Like, when you have those moments when you get to actually, like, see someone in person. You got to see them as people. As people. Talking And about I know them like as that. actors, but then you have to think, too, that Franco's been kind of a comedic guy or, or the pretty boy. So you've got to already have this, like, persona he set. But then to see him just be like, I want to create, you know. He gave us a copy of his book, Actors Anonymous, which is, like, it's interesting for sure. But it's definitely one of those that, like... I don't know. It definitely hit some of the I'm an actor stereotypes that yeah. I personally really try to avoid. And it's why I never wanted to do theater because I was like, uh. but I, uh, it, it was just a really cool thing. They were really interesting, wonderful people in the first place. Uh, James Franco's handshake's terrible, but it was <laughs> really, his giant hands. He seriously was like shaking a catcher's mitt made out of bananas. It was huge, but no grip. Very disappointed. Very let down. But I felt like that was the art school kid in him coming out. Weird. But the point is just, it was just really interesting to see that. And I, I'm just really interested to see where his performances go. I'd like to see another director grab him. Like a, I always jump to David Fincher because David Fincher is like incredible. But I would like to see someone else with a vision grab James Franco and make him work. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I agree. I, I, I'm just so curious. how to work it. Oh, yeah. Let's, I'm uh, through this movie. I'm, one last thought before you move yeah, on. Yeah, the one thing I thought was really interesting, I'm watching the movie, right, the whole time. And you ever have those moments where you're just like, this is a bigger deal than I thought it would be. And I had this moment where I'm looking at Franco and I'm like, oh, this is one of those career making moments like when J I had this moment I know this sounds so silly I was like man when James Franco dies they're gonna play a lot of clips from this movie in his remembering James Franco reel like this I really think this is gonna be it. this might be his career highlight if not at least a career highlight if that yeah. makes sense it's definitely it's, it's really interesting seeing like I don't know what the last film I know that he directed that the child of God movie yep which was rough and, you know, I think it was him trying to be, like, an artsy director and really take a book that shouldn't be made into a movie sure. or make it into a movie. It's nice to see him bounce back with something that is, like, totally up his uh, his. It's, his like, alley. a little safer in a weird way, but also not. But what's cool is there's still a lot of these artsy moments, you know? Yeah. I that being said, let's get to the only flaw I really have with the movie. and uh, Because, like, we've talked about, the it, it's, it's a well-told story. Yep. The structure is great. I, you f you will sit down and watch this movie and never really be bored. Yep. They really hook you every chance they get to want to follow these dumb characters yeah. on their dumb journey. Um, is that this is a movie about performances. So the cinematography does not need a lot of style. That being said, my only problem is that, in my opinion, this movie has no discernible style. Absolutely. Whatsoever. And that's fine because it really is about watching James Franco it's play still, this weird guy. Yeah, I, I, it's shot like all the other James Franco, Seth Rogen movies. Yeah, and I, I really wish it. Like honestly, though, a lot of those even have more style. This one, like the only times you ever really get a glimpse of something that's like stylistic or thought out is like them walking slow motion on the first day of the movie being made while it's playing. I think playing Beastie Boys or something. Yeah. Once again, that was like the, that's the only part of the movie that I was really like, I wish it had more of a punch. Because uh, I think it could have, like I think if they really would have sat down and thought, like how can we do this where it's not just a camera following actors? Sure. They could have made something interesting. That being said, being that the movie is about people making a film, it's probably best that they use that kind of handheld style. Yeah, a little flatter. Yeah, you know, you know just makes it, it makes it feel like you're really there. Yeah. That being said, 
I think I, they I think they were so concerned with the performances and the writing, which were turned out great. Yeah, nine nine out of ten, ten you know, out of ten on all of those. I, and I joke that if you didn't know that James Franco directed this. Anybody kind of could have. And I don't mean that. I'm not saying there's a knock on him, but I'm saying because there's no discernible style. Yeah. It's just it's just like get the coverage. Make sure you get the good performance. You know what I mean? It feels just very there. Obviously, that's not the only part of directing, but it is an important part, too. Yeah. You know, imagine well, giving the same script to a guy like Edgar Wright. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I guess since that's my only... My only complaint. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's easily, easily one of the best films of the year. If you ha- are a fan of The Room at all, or have heard of it, or have seen scenes from it, this is... It's awesome. As well as, like, comedies, this is the comedy to see. It's cool, because it's like, you almost feel like you're watching a bit of a documentary about it in a weird way. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, I think they, they, they balance that well at the end, too. There's, yeah. there's some great stuff at the end where they do shot-by-shot uh, shot comparisons. So Amazing. They, they reshot some of the scenes from The Room for the disaster artist, and that's like spot on. The hi doggy, that scene. Oh, you're my. Fa- oh, I didn't recognize you. That scene. I like. I see. Still shaking my head at how perfect it was. It and there were moments that the performances were so good where I was like, Oh, is this the actual scene from the room, or is it? Oh yeah. You know, it's 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 hilarious. Like the color grading, the the way they set everything up. Amazing. So I didn't crazy. realize that the you're tearing me apart was from a uh, streetcar named Desire. Right? Was that? Yeah, that's what or that was. Rebel was, Without right? a Cause. Oh, Rebel Without a Cause. I'm so sorry. The Stella thing was street. That's right. Because he kept referencing Stella. In the, in the, I'm sorry. I got yeah, No, I didn't know that either. And as I, I've only ever seen that film and once. And it's really crazy because he really does nail the performance that James Dean does. When I heard that, I was like, oh, weird. He like, me apart. I was like, oh, he, he did it dead on. <laughs> that just worked 50 years ago, not now. <laughs> yeah, know? totally. Well, I think that's the review. Go see it. Uh, it comes out, I think, December 9th. December 9th or like December something. Yeah, I think so because it, maybe it's the 8th. It's the second It's the second Friday in December. I know that much. Yeah. So def- I highly recommend you go see it. It's, it's been – I know this sounds silly, but it's definitely been one of the more favorite movies I've seen this year. I really had a great oh, yeah, time Oh, yeah. It'll definitely it. end up on my end of the year list. Oh, people are going to lose it. I think when people go see it, it's going to be huge. Yeah. I think it will even be huge, personally speaking, for people that don't know anything about The Room. Yeah, because like, it's, it's just a good character study otherwise. Like the whole time we were watching it, I kept thinking like, oh, man, my mom would love this. And I know she doesn't know anything about The Room. Yeah. You know. It's great. Yeah. Oh. Well, other than that, uh, I don't know what we'll be talking about next week. We'll see. Uh, I'm working on a couple screenings for us, so hopefully I'll – if I get anything good in advance, we'll – the holidays kind of mess everything up too. So yeah, I'm sure I, I we'll probably – I know that the next month will probably be Because today's Thanksgiving, and I have a feeling that almost no one listened to this during the original broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> it will probably be discovering it online afterwards. Yeah. But And uh, that's okay. Spe- speaking of which, I know that I think last week we talked about we have a SoundCloud now. So oh, yes. You can find Sin Cinema Snops on SoundCloud. You can also find us on uh, Google Play Store. And very soon we'll be up on iTunes. Yep. I'm going to work on that today. Um, if you want to keep up with us, uh, please send us an email if you have any questions or like want to hear our thoughts on a certain movie or, uh, you know, I don't know if you know any filmmakers in the area that you'd want us to interview. Our email is sincinemasnops at gmail. C I N C I N E M A snobs at Gmail. Um, 
I'm trying to think. Also, we're going to be making a Facebook page soon. Yep. So, so that would follow us be like there the too. easiest way to keep up with us. We'll post the links to episodes there. Yep. And of course, you can follow us on RadioArtifact.com, or you can also stream the show live if you're not in the Cincinnati area to catch it on the radio. Yeah. For real. Check out Radio Artifact. You can check out Mark's other show, The Weekly Hookup, with Mike Robinson. Friday's at 5. Yep. And Mike Robinson. I'm sorry to step over his name. Oh, no. You're good. And, uh, yeah, for real. Go to Radio Artifact. There's tons of other shows. I know there's shows on, like, mental health. There's shows on local music, local beer. And why not? We should plug our YouTube, too. YouTube.com slash the Mark. Holland and I make a bunch of funny videos where uh, they filter it all through my loud mouth. And it's usually a lot of fun and creative and weird. And just the way we Mark has a funny little press. Present. What was a gift, oh yeah, I'm gift, doing a big I'm, giveaway. I'm doing a holiday gift giveaway this year on the uh, on the YouTube version of the weekly hookup. So definitely subscribe this Friday tomorrow. I will be announcing it uh, as part of my radio show, but you'll also see it because I also release the video content the same day as the radio show, usually a few hours in advance. Uh, you know, one uh, one I am going to say. So this is going to be a surprise to you, um, but I'll just start the presents early. Is that originally part of the reason we were at the screening on Monday was to meet with one of the executive producers of the film who actually this is a fun fact it's he's local he's actually originally from hamilton yeah um i i always mispronounce his last name so i just won't say his name at all uh but we <laughs> talked about talking with him he was going to host a q a session after the film but uh had an issue had a flight issue however uh the rumor looks like he will be in town hopefully in the next week and i'm hoping i can reset that meeting and if that's the case i'm going to see if i can't get him to answer a couple questions on uh for us on air oh nice so i thought that would be cool so merry yeah, that'd christmas be, that'd be no really promises at the very least i can feel pretty confident i can even get up there and i'll blob up and uh oh you yeah know, even if i have to just ask him what flavored doritos he'd prefer nacho cheese or cool ranch and uh, find out if uh you know if he picks nacho cheese if we're even going to continue this that because cool ranch is the only good dorito flavor holland that's uh, where i you was know going in canada they call it cool american <laughs> cool which, is, Ameri- which yeah. is what tarantino likes to call it <laughs> I, I, <laughs> cool. I, I only eat cool american chips <laughs> yeah. and fruit brute cereal because i put that in every movie oh so weird <laughs> anyway. uh one last thing to plug your new art uh project with Lindsay. Oh, yeah. So sorry. I was like, what? I'm looking at you like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, you can also find us online. Our shop should go live probably around the same time as the disaster art is coming out. It's called Millennial Messages. And uh, my girlfriend, Lindsay, is a talented designer and creative. And I've had these ideas forever. Uh, so what we've been doing is using my sarcastic, terrible worldview and uh, turning them into cutesy signs for your house. So if you want a little sarcasm, a little snarkiness, check out the page on uh, Facebook for now. Uh, and the shop will be launching on Etsy, I believe, around December 8th-ish. So I'll probably bring it up again there, too. I might do some giveaways on the shows, too, and give you guys some snarky artwork. It's, it's real cool. It's it's looking, if you're Thanks, looking dude. for uh, some cute little Christmas gifts. Especially for all the jerks in your life. <laughs> yeah. I know that once uh, the website and the Etsy page and all that stuff goes live officially, I'll put all that in the show notes well, with dude. each episode. Other than that. Uh, Buy our stuff. Yeah. Feel free to email us. <laughs> We'll have that Facebook up soon. Check us out on Google Play, iTunes very soon, Radio Artifact, of course. And uh, we'll check you next week, Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, make sure. Uh, Email us your leftovers. True. Yes, please. Email us your leftovers. (laughs) Actually mail them to my P.O. box. Please fax me some cranberry jelly. I don't have a family. I need this. (laughs) I'm celebrating Thanksgiving this year. I like that idea better. Me too. All right, buddy. Enjoy. All right. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.
You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Lisa.